Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. Today's episode is with one of my personal expat heroes. So when I first moved to Germany, I very quickly started seeing these books all over the place that had very distinct graphics on them. And the book stood out to me not just because of their cover, though definitely that as well, but because when I picked it up and looked at it, it was called How to Become German in 50 Easy Steps. And the other one was called Make Me German. And actually the entire book is bilingual. So if you're reading it from the cover until about the middle is the book in English. And then you flip the book upside down and from that cover to the center is in German. Okay, so suffice it to say, I'm already hard in on this entire thing. Cool graphics, bilingual, meaning I could practice my German, and the topic. The topic was totally appealing to me because it was exactly describing things that I was going through. And when I say I kept seeing them everywhere, I I really do mean that. I worked at a library and I'm pretty sure we had those books there. I definitely saw them in bookstores. In fact, one time I was in a tiny little bookstore cafe in a pretty small town up in the Algoy, which for anyone who doesn't know is this mountainous region just before the Alps over in Bavaria. And it's just lots of cows and fields and mountains and not that many people. And anyway, in this tiny bookshop cafe in one of those towns, I found these books and I really wanted them, but I was too broke to get them. Fast forward to my first birthday in Germany, and I was given these books as a gift by someone who didn't even know that I was so aware of them and so yearning for them. It was a perfect gift, so good job to that friend, but also just further evidence that to me, these books were just part of what it was like to move to Germany. You just saw these books all over the place. These books were written by today's guest, Adam Fletcher. A couple months ago, I was really feeling that piece of advice that you always hear that's like, just ask for the things that you want. The worst thing that you can be told is no. So I went through and reached out to several people who I really wanted to talk to on the podcast, but had always waited to reach out to because I, to me also, there are these big, important heroes because they're such an important part in, in my life and my journey of expat life that I was intimidated by them. So anyway, Adam was one of those people. Plot twist, he said yes. Plot twist, all of those people that I reached out to said yes. So I guess that little piece of advice is true. Getting to talk to someone who has been a hero to me in my own little journey was so freaking cool. And let me tell you, not a letdown, not a letdown at all. Adam is a very fun and entertaining fellow. We had a great chat. Uh, I didn't expect to leave there with a lot of deep thoughts to think through. But as you'll see, I, I kind of called myself out, got called out on some weird behaviors throughout the interview. <laughs> Made me really rethink how I'm approaching this whole life, this whole expat life, this whole foreigner life. Maybe I'm doing some things wrong. Anyway, you'll get to hear what I mean (laughs) in the episode. All right, I think that's sufficient fangirling from me. Let's go ahead and get to the interview. Enjoy. So my name is Adam Fletcher. I'm originally from a pretty terrible market town in the southeast of England. I'm living in Berlin in Germany. How long have you been in Berlin? Oh, that is a very good question. Seven years. Wow. And then before that, I 
I went away for a couple of years. I was traveling and living in New Zealand. And before that, I lived in Leipzig. So I guess my like kind of my first expat kind of immigrant experience was living in Leipzig, where I moved in, I think it was 2007. Do you mind me asking how old you were with that first move? I must have been 24, if my if my maths is right. It was pretty much just after the end of uni or 23. How did how did you go from uni to, to Leipzig? <laughs> it was really, really, really random. So I, I moved back in with my parents after uni, which was a terrible mistake and, and doesn't doesn't work. And from their side too, it, it doesn't work. You've all just moved on. I kind of I moved back in with them, but it, it wasn't it wasn't going especially well. So I was kind of thinking, okay, I probably need to to find a way out of here. And then one day I got a, sort of this random email from a German man. I had completed my dissertation around that time, and I, I find the lot of the dissertation process is really it's really sad, huh? Because you get really really good at a topic, and then you write this big long paper, and then no one ever reads it. <laughs> like I'm not even convinced that you're the people who mark it actually read it uh, and so then like a copy goes to the university library and then just sits there you know gathering dust forever and I was like that will not happen to my dissertation so I kind of started a blog which was kind of around my dissertation and I would kind of share sections of my dissertation and then write kind of articles and do interviews and a lot of just kind of terrible amateur blog journalism around the kind of topic that I studied and then this German guy, Andreas, who's still a, still a friend of mine now, uh, he was reading it and he liked it. And he said, would you like to come and work where I work? I said immediately, yes. And that was Leipzig. Um, I remember having the the phone call. I even have that in the book with the, with the boss of the company in Leipzig. And he said, do you want to move to Leipzig? And I said, I don't know where it is. And he said, it's in East Germany. And I said, yeah, okay, why not? Was there anywhere he could have named in his answer where you would have said no? <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe one or two places. I don't know if I if I was ready for like a Papua New Guinea, maybe, or like, <laughs> I don't, like I don't know, maybe somewhere very far away where where maybe I wouldn't have had the creature comforts that I I need as a man who enjoys lots of different types of chocolate and cushions and things. I need my my luxuries, but no, Germany was fine. I'd never been to Germany. I didn't speak a word of German. I had no real. It was just Germany wasn't just on wasn't on my radar until I moved there. And it doesn't sound like life abroad, anything of that nature also wasn't necessarily on your radar. No. It wasn't the goal. It just kind of was presented to you and you said, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I guess I'm a reasonably curious, reasonably outgoing person, which is I guess part of why that opportunity kind of fell in my lap. So it was not a surprise, I guess, to myself or probably to the people around me that I said yes, because it was much more interesting than living with my parents. You know, this was far more interesting on every every level to move to Leipzig. And I, I flew over for the interview. So that was my first time in, in Germany. And so Leipzig has a massive computer games festival and it takes over the whole city. And the interview happened to be the day that the computer games festival was on. And so there wasn't a free bed in the whole city. So I just wrote... One of Andreas's, he, who became my future boss, one of the the colleagues of, of his, he said, oh, there's an American girl who works in the company. And, and Leipzig was very different in 2007 to now. Like now it's a really international city, but back then it wasn't. And he said, oh, there's an American girl here. So I just wrote this American girl and said, basically, can I sleep on your couch? She said, yes. And so I did the interview and then she took me out and gave me this kind of tour of Leipzig. And I remember we ended up in some kind of like ruin bar. And it was some people who were, if I remember it right, they would squatted the building and they were paying for the renovations of the building with kind of parties and concerts that they would they would put on. And then we kind of went to one of these 
parties and I spent the night with her her friends and I, I just really never seen anything like what was happening in Leipzig in that time and it was so far removed from England there was this incredible energy and it's kind of the possibility that comes with with space and life being cheap you know and England is a massively overpopulated expensive island in which every scrap of land is really valuable and Leipzig was down and out and so there was all this space around that people were using in interesting ways and it just really blew me away and I thought I want to live here. And when you came back and there wasn't a gaming convention happening were you disappointed? (laughs) (laughs) No because uh, I met someone at that party also I'd found out that day at the interview that I got the job and then he said oh I'm looking for a roommate do you want a room? So I was like, oh, this is incredible. I've come here for one day and I've got a job and maybe I've got a room. And then uh, my friend Sarah was like, the, the American girl, she was like, oh, I mean, it's a really nice apartment, but it's quite, it's quite expensive. So I was like, oh, I'll just take a look, you know. And then I went to view this apartment and Jesus Christ, this apartment was, it was a palace. This place was an absolute, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. Like the place where I parked my bicycle, you know, would have been seven apartments in, in central London, you know, each worth a million. It was just this ridiculous, <laughs> ludicrous place, you know, and he told me the rent and I just laughed. Like Leipzig was really down and out at that time. And compared to what I would have had to, you know, to have paid anywhere in England, the fact that I would get to live in this palace for 300 euros or something was just extraordinary to me. And I left Leipzig, I stayed one night and I left with a, with a job and an apartment and really cool roommates. It was just all gifted to me and I was incredibly lucky and privileged. I'm just sitting here like, who does that, who does that happen for? Like, it's, it's literally just a fairy tale journey of just, like, oh, here's everything wonderful for you on the plate. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was a lot harder than that in reality, but. No, 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 it really wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned earlier, you used the term outgoing to describe yourself. How did that work out for you in Germany? <laughs> You're often kind of lonely. So even if you're not maybe naturally outgoing, it's necessity that that requires it. And so you you do it. And so I would there was a magazine then called the Kreuzer, which was kind of like where they would put the the listings of what was happening in, in Leipzig. And Leipzig is a small city, there's I don't know, half a million people, at least there was then. And so you would kind of read the Kreuzer and there would be sort of one thing every day that sounded like it might be reasonably fun. And so you would just always go to that thing. And then over a few weeks, you'd keep seeing the same faces again and again and again. And then over time, you would just meet them and you just get start talking to them. Yeah. And I can imagine if what you were saying earlier is that it's not such it wasn't such an international city back then. And so if you're here, one of the few foreigners and outgoing, having fun, soaking it all in, it can kind of be this fun, positive thing. I can remember like like I can remember house parties where the word would spread that an English native speaker was there. This is tr- absolutely true. <laughs> and then people would come and seek me out. Actually, Sarah had a term for this, the, the American girl who became a good friend. She, she said, you get, as a foreigner in Leipzig, you get five minutes for free in every conversation because everybody wants to know why, why you're here and what you think about it. So what do you think about Germans? What do you think about German culture? What do you think about Leipzig? So you moved over for a job, but I know you as an author. And I believe, if I'm correct, that to this day, you are an author. How did that happen? How'd you go from sort of a typical career path to being a writer? Yeah, that's a, 
I mean, if I tell the story, it's just going to sound as ludicrous as that that first story that I told you. And you're just going to be like, like, what's going on with this guy? Why does the universe keep providing for him? So I met my my, my girlfriend, who features quite prominently in my. Uh, I've done four books that talk about being a foreigner in Germany. She was kind of the main source material. Fortunately, I fell in love with the most stereotypically German person who exists. And so I had a really good access to kind of studying Germans and getting this really funny source material. Because a writer, a lot of the time, you, you have to tune people up to make them interesting. So you kind of exaggerate their qualities. I felt like with Annette, I was often tuning her down because no one would, would believe me. <laughs> but she she's also extremely wonderful and, and funny and warm. And, and so I kind of I got a lot of material from from her. And then I kept getting these five minutes everywhere, you know, like, like we talked about already. And so if you keep getting the same questions, you get better and better and better at practicing your answers and delivering funny answers. Very regularly, my German friends would send me these kind of like articles that foreigners had written about Germany, these kind of listicles. Back then, it was there were very often that were kind of foreigners in Germany who would write these listicles. This is even slightly before BuzzFeed, I guess. And they would often be sent to me. And I remember a friend of mine, Alex, saying, I think you should write one of these. And I kind of remember filing that idea away and thinking, okay, yeah, at some point I'll do my funny guide to Germany. And it took years and years and years and years and years. And in the meantime, I started a terrible online business called The Hipstery, which was a mystery product experience. Uh, you would have to come to the website, answer the survey, and then buy something without knowing what it, what it was, which is terrible. Like kind of the world wasn't, wasn't ready and, and probably will never be ready for that business idea. But it was kind of charming. And so it got quite a lot of attention, sometimes people laughing with it, sometimes people laughing at it. And there were quite a few years where I was working on that and I wasn't really making any money. And I discovered that the only way I could get people to come to the website and buy things is if I would go and write funny articles. People seemed to like my, my tone of voice. And I thought I was a businessman, but people kept kind of laughing at me and sometimes with me. And there was kind of all these signs that maybe what I was good at was writing and not being a businessman. Maybe because I never made any money. That was already a clue. So anyway, so I was writing these articles <laughs> and then I wrote a, a couple for a, a website called Venture Village and they were really popular for some, some reason. And so then websites just started paying me to write articles for them. And then I did less of the terrible business and I did more of the articles. And then one morning, it was a Sunday, I remember I was in Berlin. I, I decided, okay, I'm going to write that listicle now about you know what it's like to be a foreigner in, in Germany. I'm going to take all of the funny answers that I've been practicing for years in bars and I'm going to, write, I'm going to finally write that article. And I, I did it, I remember hungover on a Sunday. I did How to Be German in 20 Easy Steps, which then was posted on Venture Village and went like ridiculously crazy, mega viral. I think it had a million readers in the first week. Wow. Yeah, which was just mind-blowing to me because I, didn't, I hadn't spent any more time on it than any of the other articles, but maybe all of those years of answering those questions and thinking about that topic and studying Annette, suddenly I had more source material than I, than I realized. Yeah, and then a couple of publishers wrote me because the article was doing so well and said, why don't we do books together? And then <laughs> we did books together and then that one came out, How to Be German. Uh, I just basically extended it from 20 steps to 50 steps and then someone translated it. So it came out in English and in German. And that, I think, sold 110,000 copies. Like it was incredible, wow. absolutely incredible and completely changed my life because I had no money because I'd been running terrible businesses for years. I was really grateful for that, actually, because I remember at that time I'd been for the last couple of years trying to encourage Annette to leave with me and move somewhere else because I, I was purposeless and confused about what to do. And in the past, when that had happened, I'd, I'd always ran away. 
and I was trying to run away again. And she was very clear about the fact that I needed to stay put and work out what to do with my life. And I'm very fortunate that that happened at that moment and solved the problem of kind of what to do next. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. To which the universe said, here, don't worry about it. Don't overthink it. Here. Yeah. (laughs) A very successful career. I'm still doing it amazingly (laughs) six years later now. Um, I've kind of left Germany as a topic now. After four books, there was just didn't really feel like there was anything left to, to really say anymore. But I've moved on. I'm now mostly doing travel again. I have a a series now about kind of traveling in unusual places. So I still get to do intercultural stuff, but it's got a slightly wider focus than books about Germany. It's really, really lovely. I mean, based on the numbers that you just cited, that must mean that Germans also liked these. It actually somehow never really occurred to me until just this moment that Germans must be reading it too, (laughs) which is wild because I find that they're not always open to being poked at for their weird quirks. It's it's a fine balance that I've never managed to really strike. Um, so do you know how that happened? How you got them to let you talk about them? I remember talking to my editor about that. And, and she was saying that like if this is really going to work, Germans are going to have to like it because the market for foreigners in Germany is kind of, it's big for sure, but it's, it's limited. And we're going to have to somehow transcend that and also make this something that Germans would want to read in my experience, Germans are more interested in what foreigners think about them than, for example, the British. And I think the, the British are so certain of their own superiority that they don't really, they're not really interested in what a foreigner would, would think about them. And the fact that the person was foreign, they would be automatically excluded from having a valid opinion about what Britishness is. But I think that I got <laughs> really fortunate in that Germany is, was a really unique situation in which German culture does not allow them to say positive things about themselves. Germans in general are really hard on themselves. And so I think what I tried to do in those books was be mostly nice about them and I think I'm kind of critical but I always had a rule like every time I make fun of them I have to also make fun of myself or the British so that it it would be some kind of parody in in the book that I wouldn't always be making making fun of them like every time I say something negative I would need to say something positive yeah I think another thing (laughs) they do like to be correct (laughs) and so I feel like a thing that you do well is take house shoes, for instance, that you wear, you know, different shoes inside and you leave your shoes in the hallway. They could maybe laugh about that. But I, I can just picture like a German friend popping up immediately right now and going, oh, but it makes sense because then all the germs stay outside. And then the, and, and so I feel like you do a good job of being like making fun of it for being kind of silly and a bit much. Mm-hmm. So you, you poke the fun, but then also you, you're able to include an element of, yeah, it does make sense. Like it is a good idea. Germany, we're not trying to change your mind. Like you're doing great. Carry on, but yeah. have a little laugh on the side. <laughs> yeah. I think that, yeah, there's all, a real kind of kernel of wisdom, kind of immense desire for specialism and doing things well. But I think that I, I do also respect that. And I think that the the British who I'm, I'm a lot harder on as maybe everyone is on their own culture because you just know it so well we're kind of a bit of a a nation of blaggers maybe uh is blagging an american english term or only british what does this mean it means kind of like saying you can do things that you can't do and then it's kind of like being very generous with the with the truth of your own competence so uh another very good maybe british word bodging do you have that in american english nope Basically, when you when you do things badly, it's kind of the when you kind of sellotape everything and hope that no one notices. <laughs> and I think the British are kind of masters, master blaggers, and master bodgers. 
there's this kind of belief that if your intentions are good, it makes no difference really what the outcome is because your intentions were good. And I feel like in Germany, that's absolutely not the case. Like your intentions are irrelevant. You will try to do a thing. The thing will be evaluated on the qualities of the thing. If the thing is good, it will be done. If the thing is bad, it makes no difference how hard you tried. Either you're competent or you are not competent. And I think that like the, the British way results in Brexit. <laughs> and you said it. You said the word. <laughs> I've said the word. <laughs> and I feel like there's something, I, there's something that I, I appreciate in the German desire for specialism, for qualification, for doing things properly and not making the complex simple. I would like them to pat my head more, give me more gold stickers. Like, I feel like when you do a good job, they're like, great, good, uh-huh. And then when you do a bad job, the benefit is there because they're also like, oh, okay, then don't do it that way again. And you're like, uh, okay, cool. Like, I didn't have to really cry on the floor and express how badly I feel that I messed up. Mm. It's like, okay, you did bad. Don't do it. Great. But yeah, but on the flip side, I'm like, yeah, but but couldn't you give me lots of gold stars when I do something nice? Yeah, that does feel good. Praise. So I, in preparation for today, I was flipping back through your books and in the one, Make Me German, it ends with a quiz, which I love quizzes. I was very excited to take it. And as I was taking it, I remember I took it a couple of years ago. Fortunately, do not remember my score back then. But today, my score was 41, which you categorized as alles, sort of in Ordnung. Mm-hmm. But you said it's a it's a cultural mix and match, which I was really thrilled to get because I've as I was saying earlier, I, I came in with such shame for my cultural background and identity, and I've I've kind of worked to come to a better place with that. And there are some ways where I'm like, oh, God, I really don't want to become too German. So I, I really do wait at the red light, even if no one's coming. I do that now, which is ridiculous and stupid, and that's too far. Um, so I'm, I'm shooting for this, this mix and match, which I apparently, according to your expertise, um, mm. nailed. You know, I can do a little bit more integrating, but overall, I, for me, it's, it's important that I pick and choose the best of both cultures and create a new identity that works really well for me. And I like being able to chameleon and when I'm in an all German situation to fit in in that. Mm. But I'm curious for you, you said you traveled for several years and then landed back in Germany. Was there ever a moment when you thought you would go back to England and why or why not? No, there's never been a single moment since I climbed on the plane to Germany that I wanted to go back. I think there's something about being exotic, which is very attractive. And I think if I had stayed in that small rubbish market town or if I moved to a bigger city there, I would still always be a kind of English person amongst English people. And there's something for me that's very enjoyable about exoticism and the fact that I live a few stops away now from, I don't know, from Hitler's bunker or that I, I today I, I walked my, my daughter around, around Tempelhof, you know, where the, where the Luftbrucker was. And this, this is thing for me, I've escaped my own idea of what my fate was. I probably have a very wrong idea of how my life would have, would have turned out, but it's really seductive to have this idea that I've somehow escaped this terrible fate or just the fate of living a really ordinary life. And now I've got this really fun, exotic life where I get to, to live abroad. Do you feel very German? I don't feel German in the slightest, despite having now a German passport, speaking German, at least to some reasonable degree, and having written books about Germans. I uh, don't really feel feel German. I guess I'm kind of a Berliner, which is kind of a nothing, really. Hmm. Like it's not. I don't know if Berlin has a distinct culture other than tolerance for the individual above everything else. So everyone kind of leaves everyone alone. It's more my more my feeling. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So the term integration gets thrown around so much when discussing foreigners in Germany, both within the foreign community, but especially from the Germans and from the government. And it sounds like objectively, you check a lot of the boxes of integration, right? The language, even the passport, all this stuff, years Mm -hmm. and years of experience living here. But you don't necessarily lean into it in the way that you're just, yeah, I'm German now. But it's not like you don't have those aspects to yourself, but you're just more identifying as this otherness yeah in which case yeah berlin right place for you yeah more how i stand out than how i how i fit in yeah I think yeah coincidentally my my girlfriend works for an institute that does uh, migration and immigration research so this is something we talk about a lot the wrong or the outdated ideas that we have around immigration and that it's an achievement for the immigrant to go through this tick box of immigration steps and then become right. like the locals as opposed to the idea that This should be a two-sided relationship in which everyone learns from each other and that Germany can learn from you as an an American in the same way that it can learn from me as an English person and that my job is somehow to disappear from view. And if, if I do that sufficiently that no one notices me as a foreigner, then that's an it's an achievement. And that's kind of, I think now becoming a little bit more outdated as a as an idea. And that kind of identity is so confusing and so and so fluid that it's really hard to say what even being German might be. I, I say this now, as I understand the, how strange it is that I've written, I've written books with those, with those words and kind of <laughs> made that culture really simple as, as a, series of, a series of jokes, when actually it's really, it's really, really complicated. Yeah, I mean, I really like this conversation that you're bringing up about that it is a give and a take. And I, I find personally a lot of that is missing from the conversation about integration in Germany. Like there there doesn't seem to be a ton of eagerness to learn about new cultures. I think mm. on the individual level, definitely I encounter a lot of individuals who are super excited to to learn more. Mm. But overall, the national narrative is, is definitely more become German. And for me, it's just always, uh, you know, maybe that's also a cultural difference. I come from a place where everyone is from somewhere else for the most part. Yeah. And we've found our strength in Yes, integrating over generations. And then, of course, like America's become way more streamlined over the decades and the centuries. But there's also a lot of learning from each other's cultures and accepting that people do things differently and it's not better or worse. It's just a different approach. And here, I think that is something that they're maybe sort of starting to warm up to, but it's not so easy for them to accept like what we were saying earlier like I'm correct you do it this way how shoes make sense you know like that kind of comes back into their minds and they're like what Mm. but but huh different ways (laughs) yeah I don't Germany's definitely not an immigration success story and that's a very complex issue to why why that is or if it's just that certain cultures like in the US or in in the UK we're maybe a few more generations further along certainly in the UK we've, we've had Indian and Pakistani immigrants as our kind of version of the Turkish guest arbeiter that they have in in Germany mm-hmm. that, that maybe we've had them longer or have been more successful in integrating them but I don't know if that's necessarily true and I don't have the experience really to talk about it without making a giant fall of myself. (laughs) I guess it's one of my great hopes over the course of my life that the understanding of the immigrant will change a lot and that that will go from being a largely negative-tinged word, at least in Germany and in in Britain in, in the current kind of time, to becoming what it's always been throughout most of the rest of human history as kind of being seen as either positive or or inevitable. 
And Germany has a huge demographic problem. Like they have extraordinary, it's an incredibly old country, as, as in its its average citizen is incredibly old. Uh, like this country will need immigrants and has just taken a large number of, of immigrants and will need to keep doing that because otherwise there's just not going to be enough young people to pay for all of the old people that are here. And that's a kind of common phenomenon that's going to play out in a lot of European countries. And I'm really hopeful as someone who's benefited massively from from emigrating that the negativity around immigration is something that will change over time and that will be seen as a plus for both both parties. And you mentioned your daughter earlier. With all of this in mind, the conversation around immigration and identity, what do you hope for her? She's born in Germany to now her father isn't just British, but has a German passport. And what do you hope for her as she grows up? How do you imagine her identity shaping up? That's something we also talked about, my my girlfriend and I, and and that she will, in the eyes of the German state, she will always be a, a Menschen mit Immigration Hintergrund. The idea that she will always be partly foreign because she has this foreign father, even though I've lived in Germany now for, I don't know, 10 years, and I have a German passport, my, my partner is German, and that that seems kind of crazy to us, that she would be considered that way. A friend asked this recently, like, is it important for me that she explores her, her English cultural heritage or spends time in, in Britain? It felt wrong to say no, but I didn't feel strongly that the answer is yes. I don't know if I've just lived so long in Berlin and feel so at home here that I've kind of lost touch a little bit with Britain. And I hope only that she, it's going to sound awful if I say it, but I hope only that she's more of a European and that she is more interested in the world than in one particular place or two particular places that sounds ludicrous now that i've said it it sounds beautiful oh it sounds on. very nice <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's a different tone than you've got going in the books but i like it <laughs> i could imagine the world would just look so different by the time that she is an adult that the idea of kind of her being half german and half english might just seem quaint or un- uninteresting compared to how the geographic and political landscape of the world by the time that she's an, she's an adult. And maybe I'm wrong about that. But it was a big big factor in why I, I took the German nationality. That was something that my, my partner really encouraged so that we would kind of have equal rights. And I think she was always afraid that if our relationship broke down, I would always be the kind of foreign dad and she would be the German mum. And that there, there was kind of a danger that the legal system would, would treat me differently than it would treat her. I guess stuff like that has made me think more about serious issues around nationality and identity and laws and rights. And maybe Brexit has also done that as well a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I can't help but think that pushes some pressure on the issue. (laughs) Nothing like a Brexit and a baby to make you think a little bit (laughs) differently and deeper about all of these questions. Yeah, it was a was for me a very, I felt incredibly grateful, firstly, by how easy that experience was. And then to kind of finally be given this this German passport and to think about how my life would have turned out if I hadn't come here. And that now kind of that that whole experience has this kind of conclusion of me finally getting that passport. I've just felt immensely thankful and privileged that I was given that. As much as the world has been so encouraging along your different journeys as, as much luck that you've had along the way. I think it's also really cool that you've put these books out into the world that then pay it forward in a little bit. You know, although they are mostly humorous, they're, they're such a point of connection. And gosh, I 
yeah, you need humor when you're going through all of this and when you're like struggling under the weight of all these big identity questions. It's really great to have someone hand you a book where you're laughing about how there's nothing to do on Sundays. I'm glad. I'm, I'm so glad to learn more about how your life has played out and then charmed to hear how <laughs> delightfully easy it was to take certain really big turns. Um, but And it's nice to hear, too, that in sort of the narrative arc of your own journey in your own life, it's a nice scene to have the movie of your life fade out and cue the ending credits on. But but since we're not a movie, we're a podcast, there is no background music to cue it out. But there is one last segment to get to, and that okay. is Zack, Zack, Zack. It's a rapid fire question round where mm-hmm. I ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your very favorite Schlager song? I don't know a single Schlager song. Oh, there's one about a kebab on your head. You put a kebab on your head. There's no Schlager in Berlin. There's, there's no, you can't, there's no Schlager in the city. I think there may be a citywide ban on the playing of Schlager music in any setting. <laughs> I had one in the House Be German book about having a kebab on your head or something, which I just found by Googling Schlager songs. I don't know a single <laughs> one. And then there was that the woman, the uh, what's her name, Helena Fisher. She had a song oh, yeah. some years ago. I remember I was on a TV, I was doing a TV interview and this this thing about like how good is your schlager came came up, and then they played the clips of various schlager songs, and I was supposed to say what the next line was, and I really they really could not grasp or comprehend the fact that I had written these books about Germany despite knowing really nothing about Germany. There's no <laughs> facts in these books at all. It's just a, s- a series of anecdotes that I've cobbled together from my German friends, and so I, I didn't know, of course, know the lyrics to any of these schlager songs. Impressive. Impressive you made it this far without even being able to name one. I think that's in and of itself worth some applause. Okay, good. In your humble opinion, what is the very best form of potatoes? Roast potatoes. I'm offended that you would even need to ask that question because to me the superiority (laughs) of roast potatoes is so obvious. I've yet to meet a potato form that I don't like, so I can't say, but solid answer. Okay, and finally, you're out, not in a building, you're somewhere outdoors, and you have a beer, you want to open it, but, oh no, you don't have a bottle opener with you. What mm. is your tool of choice to get that open? This is this is difficult because I have deliberately not learned any of the myriad ways that Germans can open beer bottles because I found it is, it's one of the only socially acceptable icebreaker situations in Germany, right? So in general, you don't talk to strangers in Germany, as you'll know. But if you need their help, like, for example, can they open your beer for you with their lighter or, I don't know, fingernail or jaw or whatever, like, stupid way that they know how to open? Like, they'll, they'll know 12 different ways to open a beer bottle. You can go up to them and you can ask them to do it. And they feel really good about the fact that they can open that beer for you. <laughs> It, like it ticks all of the things that they love, which is like being, you know, being good at stuff and specialism and like doing a job properly and beer, right? And then you're in a conversation. And so I've very deliberately never learned how to open a beer bottle with anything but a bottle opener. You are blowing my mind right now, twisting that into being a conversation starter. That's brilliant. I, I again, have internalized way too much shame for no reason. And I spent the entire summer this summer desperately trying to learn different tricks. You're very hard on yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I'll have to unpack that later. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's also why you you fit in well here, because Germans are really hard on themselves. 
Oh, God. But again, a part of German culture I don't necessarily want to take on to myself. Maybe it's because I'm a woman and I don't like when I've had moments where I'm working on opening a bottle and a man will come over and try to open it for me. And I don't enjoy that. So it it might have to do with that. But as someone who loves talking to people, what a brilliant way (laughs) to do so. Okay, stupid. You just allow yourself to be stupid. And then people get to help you. And I think that a lot of my stories, I have to also, you know, I have the privilege of being really naive and just throwing myself into situations. I feel like as a guy, you have a lot more freedom around that stuff than than women do. And so I also have to be respectful of that, a lot of the immense privilege that I have moving through the world. God, but like also what a concept. What if I didn't have to prove my intelligence to strangers? Right? What if I can just have them open my beer and start a nice chat? <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> I'll think over it. Um, you've, you've given me a lot to work on. I appreciate this conversation. Before we wrap up, um, we've mentioned that you have books, but please, where can people find you? Where can they purchase your books? All of it. I mean, you could just go to Amazon. That's the easiest. And they've basically destroyed the whole publishing market. By It's basically the only place left. So just go to Amazon and then just put <laughs> in my name, Adam Fletcher, and then you'll find a whole bunch of books. I would most strongly recommend my new series, which is about traveling in unusual places, which begins with a book called Don't Go There, in which I go to, well, unusual places and then uh, write about them. That's basically it. I uh, thank you very much for your time and your interest in this lovely conversation. Thanks again to Adam for coming on to the show. And I'm curious, guys, for listeners who are in Germany or in the German-speaking world, do you guys know of Adam Fletcher? Have you read his books already? I'm curious if it was just in my little expat bubble that they're so present, or if it really is true for everyone that he's just a part of the Move to Germany experience. I definitely would encourage people to go ahead and check out his new books too. Maybe it sounds kind of weird to be reading travel literature right now and no one can travel, but I actually am personally finding it to be a really fun time to be reading travel books because it just transports you. If you don't already, go ahead and subscribe to the show in your podcast app of choice. You can visit us online at theexpatcast.com. You can also leave a rating and review there. There's a couple new ones coming in on the website, on Apple Podcast, and they are giving me life. So please keep it up. I need some wind in my sails this winter. It's, It's a long, tough one. So I really appreciate all those reviews. You can also follow me on Instagram at the expatcast or on Twitter also at the expatcast. I'll be back in your feeds on Thursday with yet another one of my personal expat heroes, Rachel from Meet the Germans. Until then, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy and stay safe. Fist on. Tschüss.